I don't talk about it to sell any books because it's been banned by the dental authority. It forced me to pull it off off the market. So the topic of the book is is over treatment of patients by cosmetic dentists, and and the reasons why uh, this is was has been happening, and the reason that the authorities have not done anything about it. Right, a lot of these dentists are dedicated to education. They just unfortunately took the wrong path and dedicated themselves to the wrong seminars. You know, the way they talk, if they can rattle off nerve pathways, use all kinds of dental terminology to show that they know a lot, but unfortunately it can be a lot about something that's based on an incorrect science, partly motivated by how much money they can make partly motivated by the respect for their mentors. They don't want to admit that they've been misled. I mean, it's embarrassing. Probably most dentists at this point would agree that if they looked at the recommendations of some of these dentists, they would disagree. They would not want it done to their loved one. They would talk about it behind their backs, but to talk to the public, to talk to someone like you, risks being alienated. I have to admit, Dentists, even if they agree with me, hate the idea that I talk about it in public because it tarnishes everyone. It tarnishes us all because we've let this happen. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, remediescounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of the Medical Error Interviews podcast. Now, I have to admit that when I first started this podcast, harm to patients from dentists was not even on my radar. I thought all of the interviews would be from experiences in the medical arena. Turns out that dental industry has a dark side of over-treating patients with needless procedures to drive up profit margins. So it has been a real opener for me to learn how dental associations across the world operate mostly without oversight and little accountability and that many, many people have been harmed, often permanently, by unproven procedures pushed by big corporate interests. Now, dentist Michael Zuck, Z-U-K, author of 
Confessions of a Former Cosmetic Dentist, is a whistleblower about the dangers of some dental procedures being pushed by corporate entities that are prioritizing profits over patient safety. There are a lot of continuing education programs for dentists, but there is also a hidden element where corporate interests will train dentists to benefit the corporation, and that can cause serious harm to patients. Most dental seminars have an underlying corporate interest or group that is benefiting, and the dental associations have not weeded out the courses that offer voodoo science and procedures that are unnecessary. Some of the procedures are so new, they haven't been tested on people. Dentists can take a weekend course and start practicing that procedure on Monday morning with patients as guinea pigs. Dental authorities have known for decades about these dangerous procedures, but have been unable to make a dent in stopping them because the underlying problem of making money is influencing the treatment dentists recommend to patients. So Michael's book, Confessions of a Former Cosmetic Dentist, caused a big pushback from his dental authority. Michael's book has been banned by the Alberta Dental Association and College and forced him to take it off the market because they felt, ironically, it was harming the integrity of the profession. The topic of the book was overtreatment by cosmetic dentists and the reason why. Fortunately, Michael's book is still available on the aftermarket. Forcing Michael to pull his book from the market is a prime example of how the Dental Association is involved in a cover-up of harmful dental practices and don't want the public to know about needless procedures that can cause permanent damage. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and other podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons of the podcast get access to video versions of the podcast episodes. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a premium patron of the podcast. Do you need a counselor for your own experience with medical error or living with a chronic illness or LGBT issues or any of life's challenges? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here is my interview with dentist Michael Zook. Great. Thanks, Michael. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up in Spirit River, Alberta. So that's north of Grand Prairie, quite far north, a population of a thousand people. My dad was a minister there. He also got into politics and he became the mayor and uh, got into some trouble just kind of mixing politics with uh, religion and and looks like I'm heading to the same issue where I like to cause trouble myself. Oh, well, that sounds interesting. What uh, sort of trouble did he get into? Well, as mayor, he uh, 
exposed, one of the council member was hiring his own snow company to remove the snow from the roads. And uh, so he wrote a little newsletter to the, the population of Spirit River saying, you know, he didn't think this was appropriate and they should take outside bids. And he got sued for that. And they basically forced him off council um, thanks to exposing something that was actually going on. So that's just one little example of, you know, um, and it comp got complicated because some of these people were also on in his congregation and then they got him forced out as a preacher too. <laughs> so every time he turned around, they were trying to get him uh, pushed out of the, out of the town and he kept bouncing around different jobs, whether it was uh, becoming a cook uh, or, you know, um, just different jobs in town, uh, they would make a stink and get him uh, removed from a position. So, it, it, you know, we, we were kind of used to either, you know, uh, some friction in growing up and, and members of the congregation, for example, would go to a, a grocery store and they would be told they wouldn't get the sale price because they were members of his church. And uh, this wouldn't fly these days, but at the time, people got away with some kind of weird things like that. Wow. Wow. I just interviewed recently a, a nurse from the UK who is a whistleblower, which sounds like your father and, and you. And he was saying that if you're a whistleblower, you'll probably lose your job and be blacklisted from future opportunities. And it sounds like you're confirming that. Uh, yeah, you, you definitely uh, don't take this for the awards. Right. So uh, you grew up in a small town, northern Alberta, and then you headed off to university? That's right. I did a year of college in Grand Prairie and then moved to uh, Edmonton and uh, got into dental school after two years of uh, pre-dental dentistry. And uh, four, year four years later, I was a dentist and then moved to central Alberta. Uh, Red Deer and established a, a practice. I, I guess we bought into a practice uh, with a classmate. And so that was in 1987 that we purchased the practice. And uh, we've been practicing together ever since. And, and it's been a long haul and, and uh, still practicing dentistry. So what was your inclination or motivation to go into dentistry as a field of study and profession? Uh, well, I was always good in sciences, and I respected uh, my own dentist. I'd, you know, been a fairly quiet person, so I I didn't think I'd have to be doing too much talking, and uh, I enjoyed art, and so it was a good combination of of all the different interests that I had. So, it's, it's to me, it, it it's a good match. Oh, how does art figure into dentistry? Well, a lot of the work that we do is, you know, uh, molding of fillings and uh, designing smiles. So there's a lot of artistic ability required. And um, it, it is really a, a blend of, of science and art. So there's no right way to do things in dentistry. Uh, so there's part of this leeway or gray zone has allowed some of the problems to develop that we'll talk about. Okay. Uh, so you, you uh, bought into your own um, practice with a university co-graduate. Uh, and tell me the difference, if any, between what you thought 
dentistry was going to be like when you entered the program and the profession and what you discovered upon actually starting into practice? Well, initially you're just, you know, when you're right out of dental school, you're just doing things for the first few times and you're, you're, you got the basic skills and, um, you know, you're just you're learning the hard way that, you know, you, you do something and sometimes it doesn't work and you uh, learn that there's things that are outside your training and you need to refer rather than just, you know, do your best. And uh, so there's a lot of that in the first little while. Later on, I learned that, you know, there's a lot of continuing education classes that will take your basic skills and advance them. But there's also another side to the continuing education programs where corporate interests will actually try to um, train you in a certain way that benefits the sponsor. And that, uh, unfortunately, can, can cause um, uh, serious harm to the dentist uh, in, in a way that leads to harm to the patient. And so this is uh, my main focus right now is to you know, discuss this area of concern. Oh, so I would have assumed that any uh, sort of continuing education credits for dentists had to be approved by the dental association, but it sounds like that corporations can come in and offer these courses for credit. I'd say probably most most seminars have an underlying theme that there there's some kind of corporate interest or some kind of group that is benefiting from the seminars and the dental authorities have not really been uh, very effective in weeding out the courses that are, are are into pushing voodoo science and uh, treatment that is uh, considered uh, unnecessary from a legitimate training and there are some initial uh, things that dentists are taught that are are actually quite so new that they haven't really been tested that much on on people and um, basically the patients become the guinea pigs and you might take a course on the weekend and and be trying to to uh, offer it on Monday morning after you've been sold on this uh, style of treatment or these products you you often end up ordering tens of thousands of dollars of products and equipment after being motivated by these amazing uh, presenters wow so that sounds frightening and now that i've already interviewed a couple of people that have had bad experiences with uh, dentistry uh i'm starting to learn a lot more about the whole industry um and a couple of them were also saying that the short-term weekend courses were not really valid or reliable courses now sometimes that's true and other times you have to realize that a dentist taking a course already has a background uh many many uh thousands of hours of of doing certain skills and a lot of times the courses are just a slight modification uh, of of a procedure for example or maybe changing to a different product that supposedly offers some different benefits perhaps the material is stronger or um you know uh, more aesthetic or whatever but um the the seminars uh unfortunately uh 
are are uh, organized in a way that they're they're really kind of like going to a condo sales <laughs> a presentation. So you don't know you're being pumped up into becoming a lifetime client, and uh, it may not be just the weekend seminar. They may actually want to hook you into extended seminars. So you might you may take hundreds of hours of courses from a certain program, but what if the program is teaching you an inappropriate way? So I wouldn't necessarily focus on is it a weekend course or not. I'd say is is it a course that is teaching a standard of care, or is it teaching a gray zone, or is it teaching a voodoo science that is just simply so far out there that it's causing harm to patients. And it's not just, you know, a different brand of filling. What if your whole mouth is being drilled based on uh, an inappropriate approach that the dental authority knows has been going on for decades and yet has been unable to really um, make a dent in stopping? How come? Well, because dentistry is a blend of art and science, we can't say that one way is the the absolutely only way of doing things. There's many th ways to paint a, a picture, and there are many approaches that, that also work. And it's amazing that that uh, even orthodontists will admit right now they don't necessarily know uh, the definition of straight teeth. You would think, okay, they're the experts, but there's no true definition of straight teeth. So each approach might have a slightly different variation on, on the angulation that they, they consider acceptable, uh, when they would refer for jaw surgery or when they would treat it with a different appliance. It's, there's many, many different approaches, just like religion, we could say. Um, is there one true religion? Well, not, not necessarily. And how many years have they, we fought this out? And dentistry has had many schools of thought, and uh, it is, it's just uh, each dental authority will have representatives of each uh, uh, approach, and they will, will be tainted with, with the, the ideas that they have picked up over the years. And there's, this, there's definitely a, uh, uh, a problem with dental authorities being infiltrated with corporate interests, and they often will sneak in and not, not share their, their true uh, colors until uh, they've already made changes to regulation. Wow, super interesting. So uh, these courses that are being offered, are they always uh, f that you have to pay a fee or are they offered for free? Most times uh, there's a cost involved. And sometimes if you buy a piece of equipment, for example, the manufacturer might send you to a, a course that teaches you how to use, for example, a laser or a crown making machine uh, at a discount sometimes, and they may offer to pay your flight and accommodation. Uh, so there's some perks involved, um, but most of the time, you know, dentists are paying hundreds or thousands of dollars for, for courses, and it's hard for a dentist to decide. Two courses might have the same topic of, say, full mouth reconstruction, but one might be taught by a prosthodontist who teaches more of a standard of care, and one may be taught by a general dentist who has a lab uh, paying him to talk about an approach that, that means that the 
dentists will be learning to do a, a full mouth of crowns based on a, a slightly different approach that may not pass the standard of care. Hmm. Okay. So when did you start to run up against the system? Well, um, early on, I, I thought being a cosmetic dentist would be pretty interesting. It, it, uh, it was probably the, the 1990s and uh, the, the rage of making people beautiful was, was uh, on at full blast. And the focus was doing porcelain veneers and porcelain crowns. And that, um, I, I went to a number of courses. I went to some weekend courses uh, sponsored by a local dental lab. And, and the, the treatment that they were talking about, it just seemed to be very aggressive. So the, the idea at the time was to do instant orthodontics for, for crooked teeth. So you take teeth that were nice teeth, but they were crooked and you drill them and drill them quite heavily and cover them with porcelain crowns and veneers and make them look straight. And the amount of drilling was quite, you know, horrific. You would often have to do root canals to, um, because the amount would, of drilling would, would, would kill the, the nerve or you'd in, 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 encroach on the, where the nerve is. And to me, that, that amount of drilling just seemed to be obscene. And I thought, this is inappropriate. And it just didn't go with my, my conservative approach of trying to drill as little as I could. So um, I did take some other courses that took me on a combination of different skills, for example, combining uh, orthodontics and bonding and um, trying to do less uh, drilling. And most of the courses that were promoted by uh, a dental lab tended to promote more crowns. So you can see that this underlying problem of how are they going to make more money affected what they recommend for treatment. So as a dentist, um, I learned that the courses could not be trusted to teach you treatment that was either appropriate or conservative. And if you ran into trouble, I didn't see them um, coming to your defense. They would just say, well, you're the dentist. You made that choice. So uh, at this point, I'm, I don't trust seminars and um, there's a big, big thrust towards exposing lies within seminars. A lot of seminars are pushing equipment that does not provide the benefits that they uh, present. And it's quite an embarrassment to the, the whole profession. Hmm. So in the drug approval world of the very broad healthcare, there in Canada, there's like a whole bunch of layers that drugs have to go through to get approved. And the same thing with um, medical devices. And it sounds like it's different for the dental industry and the devices that you folks use. Well, there's, there's definitely uh, certification programs, but they apparently aren't that stringent. And I believe a lot of the studies that they're submitting to Health Canada, for example, or to dental authorities are studies that are not, um, they're not necessarily truthful. We, we could say if there's 10 studies and, and 10 of them, or sorry, nine of them are negative, and there's one that's positive saying, okay, this, this product did work, they're gonna show the, the one study 
out of the 10 that supports the, the, their claims. And I think under, under intense scrutiny, a lot of these, uh, these seminars would not hold up with what they're promoting. So you say there's uh, been pushback against the seminars and sort of outing them for not being very healthy. Uh, where is this movement coming from? Uh, tell me a bit more about that. Well, this is kind of a quiet movement within the profession because anytime this bubbles to the surface, uh, it creates concern in the public, uh, public eye. And the profession generally feels that, you know, it's, it's already tough enough being a dentist. Why do you want to air your dirty laundry out in public? So this, these topics will come up at uh, conventions. For example, a, um, an orthodontic convention, uh, one topic was uh, if an orthodontic salesman was Pinocchio, um, the idea would be like his nose would be quite long. So uh, orthodontic companies have been known to, um, to lie and um, exaggerate the benefits of certain brackets, for example, certain wires, certain gizmos that were supposed to speed treatment. For example, there's a little vibrator that a patient is supposed to bite on for 20 minutes a day, and it was supposed to speed treatment by 50%. And for $1,000, you would think it would work. But at the same time that a seminar is being presented to say that this product does not work, if you go to the, the floor where the products are, you can buy that product. And this has been going on for years. So even though we seem to see the truth that a lot of these things don't work, um, not every person in the field is aware of the, these issues. And it takes years before things get pulled off the market. Wow, okay. Uh, so I did notice that you wrote a book in 2010. Yes, I, I've got it. I've got a, a rare copy of it right here. Confession okay. Cosmetic Dentist. And I, I don't talk about it to sell any books because it's been banned by the Dental Authority. So the Alberta Dental Association and College uh, forced me to pull it off, off the market in 2011. So it had been out for a, just over a year. And it, uh, it got a complaint from a competitor who felt that it was harming the rep or the integrity of the profession. So the topic of the book is, is over treatment of patients by cosmetic dentists and, and the reasons why uh, this is, was, has been happening and the reason that the authorities have not done anything about it. Okay, so you wrote this book and the Alberta Dental Health Authority uh, came down on you and forced you to withdraw it from the entire market, not just the Alberta market? Right. They look at themselves as, as a global word, word police. So whatever I say or do, they even looked at seminars I presented in, in Florida. Uh, and I had presented to uh, dentists as the uncosmetic dentist. And I was trying to encourage dentists to do more orthodontic treatment and less veneer treatment. And they looked at even my seminar information and whatever I did online or in the written words, they were, they've written up uh, 
in severe detail what I've said and done and try to uh, turn this against me. In fact, it is, it's gone so overboard that, that it's, to me it's better that my book has been pulled. It's an exa example of, of how the Dental Association College is involved in a cover-up and they really don't want the public to know what's going on. Wow. So your book's no longer available. Right. Yeah, you can buy it after market. But uh, I had a few copies and I'd, I'd, um, I'd sent a copy to CBC Marketplace. You may recall uh, there was an episode where they went undercover to dental offices called Money Where Your Mar Mouth Is. And they visited my office. And even though the book was pulled at the time, uh, it, was, it, it was powerful enough that they would come and visit me and in that, that interview, uh, a patient, a 15-year-old girl had come for a consultation that day and she was told she needed all her teeth capped, all her teeth crowned because of sensitivity. So that would have been a full mouth of drilling uh, down to little stubs of teeth she would have been irreversibly harmed for life. And her, her sensitivity went away in a couple of weeks just using Sensodyne toothpaste. So this, this is just an example of, of why I need to speak out. The over-treatment um, is just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, that is just incredibly frightening. So what is the motivation of these dentists that are over-treating? <laughs> Well, obviously, if a dentist can make $60,000 for a, uh, a full mouth of treatment, there's money involved. But to me, it is more, uh, the, the dentist has been misguided by these seminars that tend to make the dentist think they have special training. They make the dentist think that they're helping these patients. So I think most dentists who are doing uh, full mouth irreversible treatment uh, based on our incorrect science, have are are just basically like uh, you know uh, a terrorist bomber who's been uh, infused with information to give up his life and to blow himself up for a cause. And these dentists, they really strongly believe what they're doing is correct. I think for the most part, and don't just do it for money. But you know mm -hmm. these seminars will take you with. Uh, very little training in the subject, for example, full mouth reconstruction, which we're in dental school, we're told to refer them to the uh, prosthodontic uh, specialist. But they will try to make you think you have these skills to make this uh, massive amount of treatment from one patient. And um, the, the risk of this kind of treatment is very high. And a lot of patients are losing their teeth prematurely because they're listening to their dentist. So it's kind of scary to think, you're not only often wiping out the patient's life savings and dooming them to a lifetime of replacement teeth, but you're also, this treatment drills the teeth down to stumps that often snap off and lead to loss of the teeth. So you think you go to a dentist to help keep your teeth, but in these cases, patients are losing their teeth. Wow. Uh, so it sounds like they've drank the Kool-Aid. 
They've totally right. bought into what the corporations are selling, maybe because that prevents them from having cognitive dissonance between sort of their morals and values and what they're doing. Because um, it would be hard to imagine not having uh, those big dollar amounts, $60,000, as a motivation. But I'm more concerned about how the dental authority is coming down on you for wanting to have open conversation and awareness about this and seemingly protecting the folks that are doing the harm. Well, I think it was a, it was quite a mistake for them to make a fuss over my, my book because in their own newsletter, it was sent out to Alberta dentists a few years before they sent out a article written by a, a prosthodontist in the United States called Dr. Gordon Christensen. And his article is titled, I have had enough. And in the article, it talked about the incorrect information at continuing education courses. It talked about gross uh, overtreatment of, of unsuspecting patients in the name of cosmetic dentistry. And he called, uh, he said, cosmetic dentistry has turned into a monster. And it was clear that, you know, the, the Alberta Authority had sent this out to scare dentists to say, listen, there's something going on here. You need to be careful. On the other hand, on the back of the, of the newsletter, for almost probably 20 years, the dental lab that was promoting this overtreatment had been running full page advertisements for these seminars and had been getting uh, awards from the dental authority. So the lab owner that promotes this, this type of uh, irreversible treatment was given an honorary award in the Alberta Dental Association in college. He was also given a friend of dentistry award by the, the Canadian Dental Association. So you have someone promoting um, very irresponsible treatment, getting the highest awards in, in the dental business. You have the dental authority in Alberta being paid every month for advertising these seminars. And you also have the same as dental authority giving credits for these seminar courses the dentists are going uh, to. And even worse, you have the seminar promoting Alberta dentists flying Alberta patients to Las Vegas for treatment where they do not have licenses and they do not have malpractice or liability insurance. So the Alberta Sorry, Michael, run that by me again. Alberta doctors are flying their dental patients to Las Vegas so they can do procedures on them and not be uh, open to malpractice? Well, I think they're open to malpractice lawsuits, but the problem is the malpractice insurance would only cover the dentist in Alberta. The dentist flies the patient to Las Vegas for live training at this, at this Mecca for, for this type of approach. And in the fine print of the, of the insurance, it would say you would not be covered. And I reported this to the dental authority in Alberta multiple times with no response. They did not want to um, embarrass their friend who is advertising this, this treatment. And patients 
when they did complain, were given the cold shoulder. So in my book, I believe I, I included a little excerpt of the story of one of my dental assistants who was actually flown down as a guinea pig by another dentist. And she complained to the dental authority. And she, to this day, will tear up because her teeth were drilled down to stubs and they were just a little crooked. <laughs> and um, she needed root canals, now they ache. And she knew the treatment wasn't needed and she got no help from the dental authority. And, you know, there's only so much of this that, that can go on before it comes to a head. And I believe in the next year or two, enough patients are going to know more about this problem and they're going to start raising hell. And I, I believe you've talked to a victim of this type of uh, treatment recently. And this is not just a Canadian problem or American, this is a global problem. These seminars will reach out to people across, dentists across the world. And uh, we have victims um, of this, this problem um, all over the world because the dental authorities have not done enough. In Ontario, uh, recently the, the Ontario uh, Dental College has finally stated that neuromuscular dentistry is not approved for full mouth reconstruction or headache treatment. What is neuromuscular dentistry? It's neuromuscular dentistry is a buzzword for this type of treatment that is where they use electronic uh, pulses of the jaw muscles to try to relax the jaw muscles and supposedly find a perfect bite. Now, I have a bit of a history in this area because while I was in dental school over 30 years ago, one of their gurus who believed in this type of treatment uh, was a professor at the University of Alberta. So I saw firsthand his approach, which has been twisted and warped in a way so that now they can have an excuse to have a full mouth of crowns. So the Ontario Dental College would not have come to this conclusion <laughs> lightly. They are the largest uh, dental college in Canada and Manitoba has joined this. And now because of this, you know, they're going after the, the approach. So neuromuscular dentistry is the buzzword that they went after. Well, of course, these dentists have now changed their term. Now they're calling themselves physiologic dentists. So simply, you know, when they hear that neuromuscular is the bad, <laughs> bad way of doing it, they simply change the, the terminology. It's they, their approach would be the same. And there are different uh, schools of, of spin-offs from this neuromuscular dentistry, but um, they're not, the dental authorities are not moving fast enough. I took it on myself to notify all the provinces across Canada and most of the, the state boards in the US of this ban in Ontario, which is to me a landmark decision to actually name uh, a concern about this, this approach. And I have had a few responses and I, I believe um, with, there is, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a, currently right now, the Nevada Dental Board is, is being torn apart by the governor, uh, partly due to a victim of this type of treatment who's standing up to the, 
the dental board and exposing corruption within it. So unfortunately, um, Alberta's dental board and Nevada's dental board are, are, are joined at the hip in this, this problem related to the promotion of this type of treatment by a Canadian dental lab that also has offices or locations in the US. So wow. it's <laughs> Um, so it, yeah, it really sounds like the, uh, Alberta dental board is, is a cozy little group of probably men, uh, who are making money and controlling things. And it seems that they're, what they're looking out for are their own interests slash corporate interests and not really the dentists and especially not the patients. Right. Patients are are not getting represented in this equation. Uh, the, the dental authority has, has turned a blind eye. As an example, uh, a patient who has, has been treated by a dentist known to be in this, this uh, group, and she, she did a, an approach that is a typical instant orthodontic approach where you, know, you tell the patient they should have orthodontics and they say, no, I just want straight teeth with veneers. And you warn them, you might get need a few root canals. And they accept that as a possibility. But when it happens, then they get upset. And rather than paying the, the, the patient for the root canals that were needed, the patient, the dentist made the, the, the decision to argue about it. And then the patient went to the dental authority. So this Alberta Dental Authority used this dentist as a as a um, example, we'll say, and it, nothing was written out naming the approach that that she was known to follow, but it was clear that they wanted to make an example of her, and um, the 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 amount of time and money that they spent on investigating her case uh, ran probably into the hundreds of thousands. And some have said there's been million, over a million dollars in legal fees. So um, how much did the patient get? $11,000. So if you get um, lawyers make a million dollars and the patient gets a refund for what was done, there's something wrong with that system. So why do they want to change it? The lawyers aren't going to change it. The lawyers are making a fortune. If a patient has a problem and goes to the lawyers, they don't want their cases. There's not enough money to be made by a lawyer. The lawyers want the, the traffic accident cases, um, you know, uh, sedation injury, of course they'll go for that. But if, if you've had all your teeth ruined, good luck finding a lawyer. Now I've heard, uh, I spoke with a cancer patient who, <clears throat> Uh, had a wrong procedure done that spread the cancer in her body. And she went to a lawyer and the lawyer said to her, you know, we could sue, but this is how it's going to play out. The uh, lawyer or the doctor's profession are going to fight you for years and years and years. And they're going to pay lawyers to do that. And even if we win, the maximum amount of money that you will be awarded is your lost wages. And that's not gonna be enough to pay my bills. 
And it sort of sounds like it's the same thing with dental patients who've been harmed. Right. I'm not up on, I think every province would be, have its own limits on, on personal injury and whatever malpractice lawsuits, that kind of thing. But the main thing is lawyers aren't making enough money, so they don't, they couldn't care less. And patients are left in limbo. The dental authority doesn't know what they're doing. They have uh, non-dentists um, trying to answer questions. They, they're, they're claiming that uh, there's no standard of care for TMJ treatment, for example, and uh, anything goes, they're gonna blame Health Canada and anyone else but themselves. And they'll do just preliminary investigations. And if they, if they offer the patient a refund, that is just a fraction. If you get your full mouth over drilled and you only get a refund, that has no relationship to the actual harm that occurred if you did not need the treatment from the beginning. It's like if you needed, if you were given chemo and you only had a cold and you ended up with liver damage and all kinds of organ failure because of treatment that wasn't necessary. This is severe over-treatment and malpractice and everybody's involved. The dentists who don't say anything, the currently we have two uh, dentists on the council that have been trained by this questionable program, two of them. And I'm not saying that they agree with the program. I, th I know for sure one has uh, spoken out against it, but I know at least one of them has taken part in flying patients down to Nevada for training. And he knows all about this. And he should not be sitting quietly and letting a lawyer at the dental authority make a stink about a book that talks about it. This is ridiculous. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I was going to say, oh, it's like a snake oil salesman, except it's not like snake oil salesman. That's usually innocuous placebo stuff. Uh, this is harmful procedures that are going to follow these patients around for the rest of their lives and cost them more money, time, energy, health. Oh, it's irreversible damage. And uh, yeah, you'll just have to talk to a few more victims. It, it is terrifying. I, I, I was in correspondence with a, a lawyer in San Francisco, and uh, she, I believe she was a malpractice lawyer even, and, and she became a victim of dental overtreatment, but with this type of approach, full mouth of crowns. And she sued the dentist, and her, her, her remedies after getting uh, a full mouth of drilling complicated the, the legal issues, but the main thing is it can happen to anybody. You can be, you know, a, a Harvard scholar and be uh, fooled by, by misinformation. And in this case, it's extremely harmful to patients. And like doctors, the culture is to trust your dentist. They're a professional. They know what they're doing. They have the patient's best interest at heart is what we think. Right. A lot of these dentists are dedicated to education. They just unfortunately were take, took the wrong path and they dedicated themselves to the wrong seminars that are, are easily, um, you know, the way they talk, if they can rattle off nerve pathways and um, use all kinds of dental terminology to 
show that they know a lot, but unfortunately it can be a lot about something that's based on an incorrect science. And they're, they're fixated on this, partly motivated by how much money they can make, partly motivated by the respect for their mentors. They don't want to admit that they've been misled. I mean, it's embarrassing. Yeah. They often stay with it. How many or what percentage of the dentists and, and dental profession are uh, going down this wrong path, taking these harmful courses? And how many are going down sort of your path? Well, I think probably most dentists at this point would agree that if, if, um, if they looked at the recommendations of some of these dentists, they would disagree. Um, they would not want it done to a loved one. They would, you know, they would talk about it behind their backs, but to talk to the public, to talk to someone like you risks being alienated. I mean, I've been told I'm what I'm saying, um, basically I want everyone to hate me. <laughs> so I have to admit dentists, even if they agree with me, hate the idea that I talk about it in public because it tarnishes everyone. It tarnishes us all because we've let this happen, but it's still going to keep going on. Currently it is going on right now. The same dental lab has been pro promoting, um, some of their dentists as TMJ experts. And for, for folks who don't know what TMJ is? Sorry, jaw joint experts or bite experts in, in magazines that go to the public. So you see this, this, they're going direct. So a dental lab usually would sit back and wait for a referral from a dentist with, to do their crowns for the patient. But now they're, they're jumping the gun and going and trying to promote their, their dentists that use their system to the public. And so any claims that they make are probably below the radar from the dental authority because they don't have dental licenses. They can't go to the dental lab and say, well, we're pulling your license. They can go to the dentist who's advertised it and said, and say, you knew that this was going on. You shouldn't have allowed this. More than likely, they'll just get a letter and say they won't do it again and they'll just do something different. But this this has again been going on for over 20 years. All these people are top level uh, awarded. Uh, they're making millions of dollars and um, this has to be exposed. It's, it's just insane. So when you wrote your book in 2010, there was the big pushback from that where you, your book got yanked from uh, sales. Uh, what other ways has the Alberta Dental Authority pushed back against you? Well, you name it. They, they launched a multiple prong attack. They have um, attempted to, uh, well, they are trying to discipline me for my advertising. And my advertising related to uh, my, my approach to use more orthodontics in in cosmetic treatment and it is worldwide everyone is moving to this you know combining orthodontics with some bonding with some whitening what is orthodontics and bonding some orthodontics 
just be straightening teeth, whether it's with orthodontic wires or with uh, clear aligners, for example, and bonding as composite or white fillings. So there's, there's many ways to make a person smile a little bit better. But the, uh, my approach was just, I, I strongly believed that it was insane to over drill teeth when you didn't have to. And I was not shy about advertising it, my approach. So whatever I was doing would unfortunately step on the toes of traditional orthodontists, for example. And so there would be a little bit of a turf war, but this, this whatever approach I was using, if you look at it right now, it's very common in the UK and um, I'm proud that I, I do it and I still offer it right now, but they launched a massive investigation to my advertising. So there was a little turf war with me and an orthodontist here. Um, I, I go into a hearing, they have 17 binders of advertising complaints about me. So they went through, as I said, page by page, everything I did and I wrote about in my book, on my websites, on my seminars that I did to help deter dentists from doing this type of overtreatment. They sued me for defamation, a $9 million lawsuit for criticizing the dental authority, partly for not doing enough to protect patients. Um, they, they worked with a, I reported a dentist who had done something inappropriate to another dentist right in front of me when he was drunk. He doesn't remember. He sued me as well. He was a former president. This was while I was on council. They helped him with his lawsuit against me, possibly with the costs, but at least with information that they got from during their, their $9 million lawsuit against me, which was about some cartoons and some parody videos. I was poking fun at them, okay? This is just criticism of them, and they're suing me for $9 million, which they have dropped since. But um, they were trying to discipline me. They're trying to sue me. The dental lab has threatened to sue me, and so that's why I'm not naming them. But it'd be pretty easy to find out who they are. And I have a number of ebooks. Often they're for free if you go to confessions of a former cosmetic dentist.com. A lot of this information I posted and uh, the clear connections between dental authorities and this, uh, these seminars and over treatment are right there. It's just, you know, mind boggling that they want to keep fighting me because I'm not shutting up. Most, most dentists would be too uh, scared to, to talk about it. It's easier to shut up than it is to keep talking, but I'm fortunate I'm at the, near the end of my career that if they, if they pull my license, I'll be okay. But I would rather keep fighting for my license because I feel I have a legitimate reason to practice and a legitimate reason to speak out. If I don't speak out because they say I shouldn't, I feel I have to go direct to the public since the health minister isn't necessarily listening to me either. Public has a right to know. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, how much do you think you've spent in legal fees uh, defending yourself? Well, I would have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on this, which is just words. No patient complaint. This is all to do with 
words I've chosen to use, um, approaches I've discussed as alternatives. I couldn't even say that uh, orthodontics is sometimes better than using porcelain veneers. They've gone, everything I said, they said I couldn't say that. It was ridiculous. Everything, if I said, um, if you leave braces on too long, you can get cavities and more gum disease. They said I couldn't tell the public that. This is the, a fact. Everyone knows in the profession, you shouldn't leave braces on forever. <laughs> and some, some dentists and orthodontists leave braces on until they get their money. So it's kind of like a, a ball and chain. You should take the braces off if the treatment is done, put them in retainers. Whether they paid you or not is, is a separate issue. It's your problem. If, if the patient can't afford the treatment, you shouldn't have done it. But um, the, the bottom line is there's turf wars overlaid with all these uh, corporate interests and, and cover-ups. It's just a mess. And, you know, I'm happy to sit down on my free time and expose all the, the hypocrisy in our profession. And it doesn't cost me any money to put, do a, a video and, and show that uh, things are still happening. And patients, as you know, patients are still being hurt. So uh, I'm really curious how you've managed to not get your license pulled because it sounds like they've got it out for you. Oh, if they could pull anyone's license and get rid of somebody, it would be me. But they, and they have tried. They've spent more money on my case than they've spent on in British Columbia, for example, in a five-year period. Uh, I think they've spent more on legal costs and disciplinary attempts on me than all the dentists in BC. And I believe even greater expense than all the physicians across Canada. It's just, it, it's really gotten out of hand. And it, this comes down to me being former member on council and I, I was elected on the premise that I, felt change was needed. A lot of dentists believe in this, that the old boys club has been running the dental authority for decades. And why would a lawyer be the complaints director with no dental experience? Can you imagine calling in a complaint and trying to get someone not with specialized knowledge to understand? So some very minuscule complaints have turned into um, catastrophic investigations that have wasted time from actual cases that should have been looked into. So where is the Canadian dental authority in all of this? Well, I, I believe in, in the last 12 months, there was a, a Canadian dental association magazine or that came out and it stated that uh, a special task force for the future dentistry, uh, I believe it was a point number six or something I posted on, the, on my Facebook page, stated that they should undertake um, to look into uh, continuing education courses and whether the content is valid or scientifically verifiable. So they're saying they should look into this. Well, should doesn't get the job done. Um, I, I'm asking them, if you're going to ban this approach in certain provinces. There must be a reason. 
if, why would you give the dentist uh, course credits for taking the course on something that is not appropriate? So it's just another step. And yet I have approached many former presidents of the Alberta Dental Authority and they have stated they're not willing to uh, go that far. But I think it's coming. Wow. Uh, so tell folks where they can view some of these videos and other things that you're doing on social media. How do they find you? The simplest way is I have a Facebook page, uh, Michael Zook, uh, DDS, and Zook is Z-U-K or Z-U-K. And uh, a, a, another way is to go to the website, confessionsofaformercosmeticdentist.com. And I list you know, links to different books, uh, different videos. And uh, for example, a, a hidden, it wasn't a hidden video, but it was an interview with some specialists. And once one of the specialists was an expert witness for legal cases. And her number one recommendation for new dentists to avoid lawsuits would be to not take these these particular seminars, and I won't necessarily name them, but she mentioned the the uh, the name, and she didn't know that I would use that video and tell patients about it. But unfortunately, that's what we have to do: is we have to, if we can't talk about these things out in the open with public uh, knowledge of everything we're talking about, then there's something wrong. We shouldn't be hiding these uh, ugly secrets just because it might hurt somebody's feelings. Mm -hmm. Do you know if Alberta has class action law? It probably does. And I believe there's likely patients looking into uh, class action lawsuits. There's multiple levels of concern. And I, I did recently see something about uh, uh, class action lawsuits being tested against authorities as well. Mm, interesting. I'll, I'll want to follow that and see where that goes. So what, uh, what are you planning for the future? What are you planning for moving forward to uh, sort of take on this whole problem? Well, my ultimate goal right now is to get the Alberta Dental Authority uh, audited from the outside. So I'm approaching, I wrote a book for the health minister of Alberta, and I actually met him uh, a month or two ago and discussed some concerns. He's obviously distracted with the massive uh, problems with uh, budgets of the medical system. He's luckily not having to worry about uh, dentistry that much, but the BC Dental College was recently audited and there was a long list of concerns. As I said, the Nevada Dental Board has just been uh, ripped to pieces by the governor there with concerns of corruption. And um, I I guarantee that the Alberta Dental Authority would not hold up under uh, an outside audit. And that's what I'm requesting from, uh, if it comes from the health minister, then uh, that's a big hammer. They're going to be forced to change. And if they don't change, uh, the dental authority uh, can be torn apart. It currently has the association side joined with the college side in Alberta, which is kind of like, you know, pro dentist and pro patient joined together. So, they're supposed to represent both parties, but for the most part, they're just representing themselves. And a lot of these insiders seem to get cushy jobs uh, and connections when they're uh, associated with this. And they're also, you know, there's a lot of uh, corporate interests that that are protecting their own turf. The, the patient really is, is 
way down on the totem pole. And as an example, uh, when there was a sedation injury in Edmonton uh, a number of years ago, a, a young girl was uh, didn't she came out of surgery, dental surgery, and uh, she had complications from the sedation recovery. And the the dental authority in Alberta said they were not going to revise the the surgical uh, sedation guidelines just because that happened. But then they changed their tune and said, okay, well, yeah, maybe we should. And that was just an example of, you know, their lack of focus on patient concerns. And they were worried, for example, that they would step on the toes of maybe specialists that wanted to do the double duty of being the sedation dentist plus uh, do the dentistry as well. So it's, it's messy, but, you know, I'm, uh, I'm putting my time in. And I think it, it's my way of giving back to the profession that was very good to me. And um, I think overall, you know, it's going to come out better for everybody. What would you, I finally remember the question I wanted to ask you before. Uh, what would you say is the most egregious example of uh, patient harm that you've experienced? Well, uh, it's related to this uh, overtreatment. I think it's a common um, uh, outrageous uh, idea to drill down every single tooth in a person's mouth is ri ridiculously um, unacceptable and that that's related to this approach then the next wave of thing that's that is coming that uh, is going to be another scandal will be good teeth being pulled out so people can have implant teeth and the public thinks implants are the second coming well they're not as good as your own teeth so you know we've had some problems we haven't and take this has been going on 20 years with this old problem. Now the next wave is dental implant problems. And it's not my area of expertise, but I'll tell you, it's going to be a mess. Yeah, somebody I interviewed earlier, they were given an alloy that they were reacting to or was leaching into their body, making them, you know, very ill. Yeah, that could be one problem. But another thing is implant failures. If you have a full mouth of implants based on just four, Im you know, a full mouth of teeth based on say four implants, all on four, for example, and you lose one of the implants, they, the, the inside joke is all on four and none on three. So you're, if you can't afford to do easily pay for that full mouth of treatment two or three times over without blinking, you probably shouldn't be doing that approach because there's a good chance your, your treatment is going to fail. I mean, when it fails, it's 100% failure for you. Wow. So does that mean you have to get new implants made and have the whole procedure done over again? Or what is the remedy for that? Right. It's sometimes impossible to retrofit an implant in, into an advanced superstructure, and they have to redo everything. So they have a little, the dentist may have overconfidence in this approach, again, because perhaps the statistics might be from a very experienced surgeon who's been doing this for 30 years. What if your dentist, again, took a shorter program, has only been doing it for two or three months, and you just happen to be that, that patient? 
you know, big, it's probably the lawyers are going to sniff money at this one. And it's, it's going to create a backlog of complaints in the dental authorities. And again, the dental authorities have no standardized training programs for implants. They wasted tons of time on Botox. You can get a few little shots of Botox from a dentist, reduce your clenching headaches. And they have so many registered courses that are very intense over something that's, if you get too much Botox, you get a little saggy lip or, 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 or eye. Implants a different ballgame. Why are they letting all these dental implant courses be allowed for credit? It's insane. There's just not enough regulation. This is a highly advanced surgical procedure. And you can take a weekend course on Monday. You can be screwing a titanium implant in someone's mouth. And it's scary. So what do you think the solution is? I know with the medical uh, field, I sometimes think that the only way that we're going to get the amount of change we need in medicine is to cut off the head of the beast. Um, What do you think is the solution for the dental industry? Uh, I think we just need to get some highly critical uh, outside reviews um, and not just let this continue. We need to say, okay, what are some standardized uh, approaches to treatment? If a dentist doesn't know how to do something, what retraining is needed? What They're just going to assign a 30-hour ethics course to dentists that they think are, are substandard. It doesn't do anything to help their clinical skills. If you take a course, a lot of times you just can go to the course. At the end, you're not tested. It's not like getting a dental degree. These courses just, you, you attend, you can sneak out and go for lunch, you can go to the beach, and you may not even be there. Um, even if you are there, it doesn't mean you're good at it. You, dental implant surgery is something that really needs to be taken seriously by the profession. So, you know, perhaps that'll be my next book with the guest uh, author, but I, I got so my hands full with just this old problem. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, Michael, that is really frightening, I must say, just getting your insider view on, on how this is all playing out. You know, now that I've talked to a couple of patients that have had such really horror stories, to hear it from your perspective and how, frankly, the health, the health authority seems to be a shit show of good old boys, like you say. Um, and that just does not inspire any sort of confidence or trust in, in that organization at all. I'm, I'm feeling really fearful for all dental patients because you say this is a global problem. Right. Yeah. There, I mean, I, again, I don't want to make patients terrified of going to the dentist. I just want them to choose their dentist carefully and pay close attention to what is, is being banned by the dental authorities. And, and, and talk to the dental authorities to get them to explain what does this really mean? Because the dental authorities are putting these, uh, these bands in a very uh, careful context and they're using words that patients would not understand. They're trying to warn the dentists, but most dentists don't even read all the, the information from their uh, authorities. So it's time just to say, let's get this out there and let's talk about it. If it turns out maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's, this is the best way to treat patients and 
this approach should be the standard of care, uh, that's great. But according to uh, the, the legal experts that are handling malpractice cases, uh, there's a reason why these people are being sued. So that sounds like a lot of duty to put on the patient to talk to the authority and do the research and figure out, you know, what that particular dentist is trained in and how good is that training. Uh, is there a central location or a repository or a place where folks can go and maybe get a lot of that information? I think it's a, it's a black hole right now. I think right now, you know, I, a lot of the information you could have uh, got from websites, for example, now has been vaporized. For example, you can't check to see if the dentist has been trained by this questionable program because now the dental authorities don't want you to list your courses that you've taken. So they've taken away the ability for patients to find out if these dentists use an approach that maybe they should not be looking at. Um, so the, the word policing of, of what a dentist says about themselves has, has actually Bit, bit the patient in the ass in that now, hey, uh, now they can just say, well, I'm a general dentist. I do this and this and this. But they used to say, well, I went to this prestigious institution and blah, blah, blah. But guess what? That particular one is not prestigious. It's just one that should be flagged as one that um, they actually should have their credits taken away from them. And they should actually be forced to retrain on a different standard of care. Just like if, if someone took a dental implant program in Central America uh, and they were doing implants on patients, the poor patients that were pulled into this seminar, uh, probably paid a few pesos. And it turns out maybe the training was not up to par. Well, that training should not qualify for continuing education. And retraining of, of dentists that are, are, have been led, misled by these seminars is really imperative. So it doesn't sound like the majority of these dental authorities are even moving in the direction of protecting patients. They're moving in the other direction. I think Ontario and Manitoba has made a slight step in the right direction with this um, discussion. So now that, you know, uh, people will be informed as this hits the media uh, with help from people like you. If, for example, uh, an undercover story gets picked up by a, a uh, television program, that's a great way to expose things. Again, it's sad that it does scare people uh, away from the dentist, but unfortunately that's just the way it, we have to go through this cycle of, you know, scaring 100 people because two people might be irreversibly harmed. That's just the way it goes, right? Well, Michael, this has been frightening, compelling, eye-opening. Um, I'm also a bit fearful for you and that your license is going to be pulled, but part of me wonders if that even allows you to speak more openly. Like you say, when you retire, you'll, you can probably speak even more openly. Well, I, my hope is that, that the dental authority will be audited and their administration will be uh, reassembled. And I'm, I believe my case should be set aside uh, by an upper level authority, for example, the health minister. And I'm, you know, if, 
if I lose my license over this, then, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to stop, stop arguing with them. I'll be a thorn in, in their side uh, for as long as I'm around. Well, thanks to dentist Michael Zook for sharing his experiences trying to raise alarm bells about corruption and cover-up in the dental industry. He's received a lot of pushback from industry insiders trying to shut him down professionally and silence him on social and other media so that they can create more profit. If you would like to support the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or whatever podcast platform you found me on. You can also become a monthly patron. Premium patrons of the podcast get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a premium patron. And if you're in need of a counselor to deal with the repercussions of experiences with medical error or living with chronic illness, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.